Um, I just uh, want to encourage you to turn your Bibles to Mark chapter 16. We've been in this passion series for several weeks now. We started with Jesus praying over his disciples on the last evening that he would be with them prior to the crucifixion and his prayer for unity over them as believers and over us today as believers. And then uh, we looked at um, Jesus and the, um, the disciple Peter specifically um, failing and um, denying Jesus. We saw Jesus in the garden. Um, we looked at Jesus and this criminal named Barabbas. This criminal Barabbas was set free, and Jesus went into his place and was killed. And then um, if you were um, with us last week, um, you know, just a variety of things uh, in regards to Barabbas. And then if you were with us Thursday night, we looked at um, Simon um, from Cyrene. Just a powerful message in that regard as he carried Jesus' cross. And um, thank you for the message this morning, Pastor Dave from 1 Corinthians 15, talking about the implications of the resurrection and what that means for each and every one of us. And um, we're going to be talking about the resurrection here in this message. Um, Maybe a little bit of a surprise there, given that it's Easter. But this is how we're wrapping up this Passion series. And uh, my message is simply entitled, Jesus is Greater Than the Stone. And so uh, I hope that you can hear my heart in this message and what I feel the Lord has put on my heart to share with you. I feel like this is a message of great encouragement, especially for anybody right now that's sitting here that feels like maybe at some point in your life you've failed at something. Or perhaps there's some things you're walking through, whether it's uh, there's a sin struggle going on in your own life or there's a circumstance that you're walking through. I hope this is an encouragement to you of what the resurrection means for us when we walk through those kinds of things. Before we get into this passage, I'm going to just ask that we take a moment to pray and ask for the Lord's blessing upon our time together. And so would you please bow your heads with me as we pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time in your word. And Father, I'm asking for your grace and your blessing as you speak to us. Lord, please use me to communicate your heart for people, to communicate your heart for salvation. And Lord, the victory we have through the risen King of all kings and Jesus. And so, Lord, we also pray for our children's ministry. We ask for a blessing upon them as they worship together, and I pray, Lord, your spirit would move in their hearts. And we thank you for this time of worship in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, Mark chapter 16, starting in verse 1. It says, Saturday evening when the Sabbath ended, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome went out and purchased burial spices so they could anoint Jesus' body. Now, very early on Sunday morning, just at sunrise, they went to the tomb. And on the way, they were asking each other, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance to that tomb? But as they arrived, they looked up and saw that the stone, which was very large, had already been rolled aside. And when they entered the tomb, they saw a young man clothed in a white robe sitting on the right side. 
The women were shocked. But the angel said, don't be alarmed. You are looking for Jesus of Nazareth who was crucified. He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Look, this is where they laid his body. Now go and tell his disciples, including Peter, that Jesus is going ahead of you to Galilee. And you will see him there just as he told you before he died. The women fled from the tomb, trembling and bewildered, and they said nothing to anyone because they were too frightened. Now, I'm going to break this down in a moment, but there's actually a couple different endings to this particular passage, and I'll explain why here in a moment. I'm going to read the shorter version, and then I'm going to read the longer version. So if you will, um, if you have the shorter version, this is how it goes. It says, Then they briefly reported all this to Peter and his companions, and afterward Jesus himself sent them out from east to west with the sacred and unfailing message of salvation that gives eternal life. Amen. Now, most of you probably have the longer version in your Bibles here, starting in verse 9. It says, After Jesus rose from the dead early on Sunday morning, the first person who saw him was Mary Magdalene, the woman from whom he had cast out seven demons. And she went to the disciples who were grieving and weeping and told them what had happened. But when she told them that Jesus was alive and she had seen him, they didn't believe her. Afterward, he appeared in different form to two of his followers who were walking from Jerusalem into the country, and they rushed back to tell the others, but no one believed them. Still later, he appeared to the eleven disciples as they were eating together. He rebuked them for their stubborn unbelief because they refused to believe those who had seen him after he had been raised from the dead. Verse 15, he says, And then he told them, Go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Anyone who believes and is baptized will be saved, but anyone who refuses to believe will be condemned. These miraculous signs will accompany those who believe. They will cast out demons in my name. They will speak in new languages. And they will be able to handle snakes with safety, and if you drink anything poisonous, it won't hurt them. They will be able to place their hands on the sick, and they will be healed. And when the Lord Jesus had finished talking with them, he was taken up into heaven and sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. And the disciples went everywhere and preached, and the Lord worked through them, confirming what they had said by many miraculous signs. All right, let's begin to unpack this passage here. The first thing to highlight in verses 1 through 2, you see these ladies wanting to go to Jesus' body to anoint him. Now, let me just kind of put this in our terms today. If you're going to go visit the gravesite of a loved one, you probably maybe bring some flowers. I know we do this a lot more over Memorial Day weekend, but this is essentially what these gals were doing. They were going to his grave, and this would be similar to what we would do with flowers. They were going to anoint his body. It was a sign of devotion, a sign of respect, a sign of their love and their service unto Jesus. And so that's what's going on here. Now, if you know that the Bible tells us that on the third day, Jesus rose uh, from the dead. And so on Friday evening... 
um, he would have been taken off the cross and, and then they would have put him in the tomb. Now, if it's just a portion of Friday, at that time they would consider that one day. So that's your Friday. Of course, then you have all of Saturday. That's two days. And then even just a portion of Sunday would still be included as a day. So there's your three days. Okay? And what's interesting here is, I mean, with Jesus being crucified on Friday... What was coming Friday evening was something called the Sabbath. And so this was a little unexpected, because if you remember, they came to Jesus in the garden, and they arrested him, and then, boom, they got right in on this trial. And they unfairly accused Jesus, and they worked him through this trial that just doesn't make any sense from our standpoint, and then they let him off to be crucified. Now, if your family... That's not a whole lot of time to, you know, kind of get some stuff together. And so, I mean, the, the uh, family or friends of Jesus, they weren't like, hey, we were just totally prepared uh, with all these oils to anoint a dead Jesus. That wasn't what they were thinking. And so this isn't something they could just go and purchase on the Sabbath. And so they had to wait almost a full day before they could go and get these oils Saturday night. Well, at that point, it's like, well, we'll have to wait until Sunday morning. And so very early in the morning, they were going to pay their respect to Jesus with these oils, just like if we were to lay flowers at a tombstone. What's interesting is on their way, they're talking about something that could be a little bit of an obstacle. I mean, for us to anoint Jesus' body, we need access to Jesus' body, but there's a bit of a problem. He's been put in this tomb, and then they sealed the tomb with this massive stone. And the ladies are even kind of having this discussion in verse 3. They're, they're on their way, and they say, well, who's going to roll away the stone? But they kept walking. Of course, in verse 4, as they arrive, they look up and they see that this stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Problem solved. Right? Now they can go anoint Jesus' body. But there's another problem. There ain't no body in the tomb. We know that there's an angel or angels. In Mark, it specifically mentions the one speaking, but other gospels mention a couple angels there at the tomb and giving these words here in verse 6. Don't be alarmed. Okay, if you went to a graveside to put flowers down on your loved one's grave and that thing was opened up, excavated, okay, you'd probably drop the flowers and there's some man in white standing there, I'm sure his reaction is, don't be alarmed. They were kind of freaking out. Where is Jesus? He says, you're looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He's not here. See the place where they have laid him. Jesus is alive. I'm sure they were freaking out. What do you do with the oils at that point? 
well, we had, we had a job we came to do, and I mean, they were just ecstatic. They were a little bit alarmed as well. And you see, as they were heading out, they fled from the tomb, and they were trembling. They were bewildered. This floored them. And it says they said nothing to anybody because they were freaking out. I mean, they had to kind of collect their thoughts. Now, it wasn't very long that they were quiet about it. But, I mean, let's just think about this. Just this morning, I I talked to a friend who uh, saw the sunrise from a graveyard today. I don't know if you've ever done that before, but just thought, you know what, the implications of what Easter means, they thought it would be more meaningful to just go to a cemetery and watch the sunrise. Okay? Pretty powerful stuff. But to think, if you were actually at a grave site and the casket is gone... You're probably not going to just get on Facebook and start telling. You're going to collect your thoughts, right? You don't want anybody to think you're crazy or involved, maybe. So they're kind of getting their thoughts together, but they know they're supposed to go and tell the disciples. Now, some manuscripts end with verse 8. And then verses 9 through 20 were added later on. And let me kind of walk you through that. And the reasons why. So the most reliable manuscripts that would be passed down over time ended with verse 8. But a majority of the manuscripts that they've found had verses 9 through 20. And so there's nothing about 9 through 20 that contradicts anything else in Scripture. In fact, you can can look at these uh, verses and you can cross-reference them in John 20, Luke 24, and Matthew 28. And so there's a little bit of back and forth on whether or not, you know, you should actually have verses 9 through 20 or if you should just stop at verse 8. But we're going to look at them because of uh, the value that they bring here. There's nothing that contradicts these verses. And I think one of the things you see here in the midst of this shift here in the story is you see the heart of God for people. And so I want to take a second, though, and start with verse 7. These are the angels telling the ladies, I want you to go and I want you to tell Jesus' disciples, including Peter. Let's just stop right there. Does anybody remember what Peter just got done doing? You know, denying Jesus. Pastor Dave preached that message a few weeks ago. And there he is in the courtyard being asked by a, a servant girl, do you know this Jesus? I don't, I don't know him. And he denies him three times, the rooster crows, and then there's this glance at Jesus from across the courtyard, and he's probably thinking, I have failed miserably. But I think in just two words here in verse 7, you can see God's heartbeat for people. He's already working out a redemption story here for Peter. Even though he did fail, God's grace is going to help. And we see God's heartbeat and that there is victory 
through the resurrection, Jesus was preparing a way for Peter to be restored. It's a beautiful picture of God's love. God was not finished with Peter. And if you're listening to me today and you have walked through some things that you feel like you've failed, you've missed the mark, you've screwed up, you've made a mess, I want you to hear the heartbeat of God in this story for Peter. It's, it's a story for you. God is not finished with you. He wants to restore your life. God is in the restoration business. That's what he does. He redeems. He restores. So there's Peter. And you think the beauty and the power of the resurrection for Peter's life. Now let's take a moment here and look at these ladies that were running from the tomb here in verse 8. Here's a bunch of women seeing the empty tomb, and they're like, we have got to go. And maybe they don't tell people at first, but you know they start talking. And this is really interesting, and I don't know if you understand this culture But there wasn't really a high view of women. And Mark's pointing out here in his gospel that the first witnesses to Jesus' resurrection were women. You want to know something interesting? If you were in the courtroom in that day, they wouldn't even use an eyewitness testimony of a woman. They did not value that. And so now you see Jesus, through his plan and his heart for people, he says, I'm going to take those who are marginalized, I'm going to take those who are overlooked, and I'm going to use them as a part of my story. And you think, if I'm trying to convince people that Jesus is alive and he is risen from the dead... You think, I'm just going to start grabbing whoever I can that has a voice, right? Like, people trust this guy, people trust this guy, tell them the story. And Mark's like, get out of the way. He goes, look at these women. These are the people that God wants to use. So we look at Peter, and if you've ever failed, you know that there's redemption through Jesus Christ. Here's another one. If you're overlooked, if you feel marginalized, if you feel like you are sort of an outcast, guess what? Jesus wants to use you. You are important to him. Your testimony has value. It doesn't matter what the world has to say about you. Jesus values you. He does not overlook you. And then here in verse 9, you see someone with a bit of a past. Verse 9 says that the first person to see Jesus resurrected was Mary Magdalene. All four Gospels mention her at the resurrection. Mary has a past. And perhaps there's someone listening right now that also has a past. This is a woman that Jesus liberated from demonic activity. The Bible tells us that she actually had seven 
demons. And we don't fully know the activity that she was engaged in or involved in. Some think it could have been prostitution. We don't know that for sure. But whatever she was involved in, it was very dark. And Satan was using her. And then Jesus showed up. And he set her free. She's no longer plagued by demons, but she is now free in Christ. And of all the people, to see Jesus and to be called the one that saw him for the very first time, it's this woman with a past. So you have Peter, who failed, but yet God is working out his path of redemption, his path of restoration. And you have these ladies who would be overlooked or marginalized, but Jesus sees them. He wants to use them. He wants them to be a part of the gospel story. And then there's specifically Mary Magdalene. And if you've got a past, please know that Jesus wants to be a part of your story. He wants to set you free like he set this woman free. He wants to be a part of your story like he was a part of this woman's story. He, he wants to be involved in your life. It doesn't matter how dark your past is, Jesus wants to be a part He wants to redeem you. The Bible records about eight appearances of a resurrected Jesus to a variety of people at a variety of times in different locations over a period of about 40 days, showing up to all these different people. Jesus is very much alive. And all these people who were witnesses and seeing Jesus You know, they kind of doubted a little bit at the beginning. You see that with the disciples, even being rebuked by Jesus at one point. But it was so real to them that they were willing now to die for their faith in Jesus Christ. And many of Jesus' disciples would eventually be executed for their faith. Now, I don't know about you, but we live in a world that would love to blow the Easter story to pieces. And think, well, yeah, Jesus maybe came to this earth. I'm telling you, he did. There's even historical record that Jesus was very much alive and was very much crucified. Here's the debate. Did he actually rise from the dead or not? And for all of these disciples to be willing to die for their faith tells me something. If this was all fabricated, you'd think at some point one of the disciples would be like, I'm not dying for that. If Jesus is a phony, you think this would fall through at some point. But they were willing to die for what they knew and who they knew. And that was Jesus. I want to go back now to verses 3 and 4. These ladies on the way to the tomb, they're asking that question, who will roll away 
the stone for us, this massive stone. And I want to speak to the stone a little bit here today. You know, the, the size of this thing, as massive as it was, it didn't keep the ladies from walking to the tomb with a mission. They had something they were going to do. Out of this place of love and devotion for Jesus, this is where they were going. Whether or not they'd be able to get in, that, they were asking that very question on the way. But they showed up and the stone was gone. Jesus is greater than the stone. And I want to look at three different kinds of stones with today's message. The first stone is our own heart. Isn't that a warm and fuzzy thing, huh? The prophet Ezekiel says that there was going to be coming a day, and he's talking about this gospel of Jesus Christ, where God will remove people's heart of stone and give them a heart of flesh. Only God can do that kind of miracle. Only God could move this stone for these ladies. And when it comes to receiving salvation in your life, this is a work that God does. He removes the stone and he does the miraculous in you and you receive salvation. God redeems your life. Another stone that can be in people's lives, and this can be in the lives of those who have been in the church for 40 years, been saved for 25. You can have a stone in your life called a stronghold. And that's a sin struggle that you find yourself stuck in and you go to. And whenever things get hard or difficult, you seem to go back to that struggle. And you're consumed by it. Jesus can remove that stronghold. And the last stone would be the circumstances that we walk through. I don't know about you, but I think life can get a little bit difficult at times. Would you agree with that? Okay, maybe a few of you shaking your heads. Well, God bless the rest of you who are like, doing life and doing it well, kudos. There's things that we walk through in life that just feel like they're impossible to navigate. When they're asking the question, who's going to roll away this stone? You might have asked yourself this question this week just in a little different way. How in the world am I going to afford this? How in the world am I, am I going to be able to, to work through this conflict? How in the world am I, I going to see change here or, or there? How am I going to face this health crisis? What, whatever it might be, that might be your stone. Is just the circumstances of life. Jesus is greater than the stone. Jesus is greater than the stone. That's the power of the resurrection. 
You know what's the difference between a believer and somebody who doesn't believe in Jesus? We still walk through the difficulties of life, but what sets us apart from the rest of the world is we have a living Savior who is there to guide us every step of the way. Yes, that's awesome. And whatever your stone might be, don't let that hinder you from going to Jesus, serving Jesus, showing your love, your devotion for Jesus, your respect for Jesus. That's what these women were doing, even though there was an obstacle. Keep serving. In Mark 16, verse 20, I love this verse. I hope you like it too. So the great commission is given to the disciples. Basically, go preach this message. So it says the disciples went everywhere and they preached. And then this part right here. And the Lord worked through them. Hey, how can Peter go from failure to being used by God? Guess what? It's because God is working through him. How can these ladies be these witnesses and this message spreads? It's because God can work through them. How can God take somebody who is demonic-possessed and use her for the kingdom of God? It's because the Lord is at work through them. God wants to work through us, and the Bible says that the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in those who are believers. So if you want to serve in the kingdom, you have the power of God at work through you if you're saved. God can do big things through his people. But if you try to do things in your own strength, I'm telling you right now, you will continue to fail. You'll continue to have that stronghold in your life. That thing will ride you until the day you die, until you get into the strength and the power of the Holy Spirit. God's strength can help us through any circumstance, no matter how heavy it might be. You can go to the Lord. Not too long ago, Brady and Judah and I, we were at a hotel checking in. And um, the usual thing, how many of you ever checked in at a hotel before? Okay. I, sometimes I just do that to see who's paying attention, you know. So I got two hands on that. You guys should stay at a hotel sometime. It's quite a thing. Let me tell you, they have pillows and a bed and... So we're checking in, and it's the usual thing. You give them your name, your card, you sign the sheet, you know, all that stuff. And I walk away from the desk, and we've got our bags, and we're going to go to the elevator to go up uh, to our room. And as I'm at my bags, I feel like the Lord was telling me, you need to go back, and you need to ask that person if there's anything that you can pray for. And I'm like, well, I mean, this is like 1030 at night, too, and it's like... I would like to go to bed, but we're going to go and see if that person would like prayer. And, I said, and part of me was even kind of, this is going to be a little awkward, 
but I'm just going to go for it. And so I went up to the gal, and Brady and Judah, they're in the lobby with me, and I just, I said, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to come back and pray for you. And the reaction I got, it wasn't negative. I mean, instant tears and just, you have no idea how much that means. And then they took a piece of paper that was on the desk that they were working at, and they said, I've just been writing down all these things that I'm struggling with. Here, I thought she was working. But what she was doing is she was working through some pretty serious anxiety and worry. And I just said, hey, can I just pray for you? And so we prayed right there in the lobby. And at 1030 at night, one thing that's nice about that is there's not a lot of traffic. It's kind of like we just had our opportunity to, to be a blessing. And the same thing for us to realize is that we can take all the cares that are on our heart and we can bring them to Jesus and he begins to do a work in our life. He can deal with the stone no matter how big it might seem. I want to share a little testimony here from a gal named Gloria Gaither. Perhaps you know the name Bill Gaither. But this leads into our closing song here for today. But her husband, Bill, she says, we were married and we started our family in the 60s. Their daughter, Suzanne, was born in 1964, and then Amy came along in 1969. And it was a very turbulent decade. There was racial tensions that had torn the country apart. Hmm. Sounds a little bit familiar. Civil rights activists had suffered, and some had been killed as our country was forced to look at this gaping chasm between the celebrated American promise of freedom and the reality for many of its citizens. Then there was the Vietnam conflict, and they refused to call it a war, and they they would drag on through three different administrations in 18 years and taking uh, 57,000 American lives. And there were new designer drugs that were concocted in laboratories that began to to surface. And there was this hippie generation that felt increasingly estranged from the society. And in this climate, Bill and I were writing songs about what we saw as real and lasting answers to the turmoil of the human spirit, about the truths that preceded us and would be around afterwards after we're gone even. It says, then in the fall of 1969, several things had happened to us. And they would test the reality of our own convictions. He said, Bill's sister went through a divorce that was very devastating to her and to our whole family. And this is around the time we were expecting another baby. We had two little kids. It says, and although we had always planned to have three, we were not expecting to have a baby so soon. And then also, Bill contracted mononucleosis, which left him very exhausted and also depressed. And then a very personal and close friend, whom they loved and had invested a great deal of time and energy into their life, had asked for some support for something that we felt was unwise 
And so we turn the support down only for this friendship to blow up in our faces. And the friend slammed the door and walked out of our lives. And so we're depleted and we're discouraged by the drain on, on our energies, especially when Bill's dealing with mononucleosis and, and we're filled with anxiety by the world's situations and we're, Bill's specifically thrown into deep depression in this time of self-analysis. said Bill and I would talk about the circumstances of the world and about this new discouragement and, and wound up saying, if this world is like this now, what will it be in 15 or 16 years for our children? And perhaps maybe you're asking some of those same questions as parents and grandparents. We were filled with fear and uncertainty. And one day a dear friend came by the house, and knowing that Bill was feeling defeated, this friend had asked God to show him what to do. And he felt he had heard from the Lord and he walked into our family room, and he said, Bill, this is not just discouragement. This is an imposition of Satan. I'd like to come anoint you with oil as the Scripture commands and rebuke this spirit of fear in the name of Jesus. And he proceeded to do just that, gave us a hug, and, and he left. And gradually over time, Bill began to start feeling better. Physically and spiritually, he saw a growing ray of light in the midst of the darkness, and yet we worried about the world situation and about the baby that she was carrying. And that New Year's Eve, she lay on the couch looking at a large piece of art that her mother had painted with oils and had given to them for Christmas, and it depicted a farmer's hand holding a mound of black, rich soil from which a tiny seedling that he obviously had intended to plant. It says, as I look at my mother's painting, it seemed that God spoke to me in the silence and said, look how fragile that seedling is. Think of all that could happen to it. Flood and drought, pests and disease, but that seedling is going to make it. It will grow up straight and strong because of the tenderness of the farmer's hand. He knows the threats, and he's committed to that plant, and he will take good care of it. And one day it will bear a crop. It will not only live, but it will thrive. Well, that summer in July, I gave birth to a perfect, precious baby boy. And after the winter of our discontent, this child seemed like a blade of grass pushing up through the pavement. We hadn't written a song for what seemed like a very long time, but as that season of our lives ended, we would soon put words and music to what God was teaching us. It wasn't because the world is stable that we have the courage to live our lives or start marriages or, or to have children. The world has never been stable. Jesus himself was born into the cruelest and most unstable of worlds. Says, no, we have babies and we keep trusting and risking living because the resurrection is true. The resurrection was not just a one time event in history, it is a principle built into the very fabric of our beings, a fact that is reverberating from every cell of creation. 
and it says that life wins, life wins. And you may know the song, but it's the song, Because He Lives. It says, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, it says, all fear is gone. Because I know he holds the future. And life is worth the living just because he lives. The resurrection makes all the difference. I don't know what your stone might be, but we're going to pray specifically about that today. And so would you please bow your heads with me as we pray together. Father God, I thank you for this time in the scriptures. This is your word. I believe you speak to us through your word. Speaking to us through testimony, whether it's the testimony of of what Peter walked through and the restoration that was available to him, whether it was these ladies who would have been overlooked, but yet you saw them, or specifically Mary Magdalene, who had a dark past but met your marvelous light. We consider this individual that was putting in the hours at a hotel, but yet the weight of the world was upon her shoulders, upon her spirit. We consider the testimony of the Gaithers and what was on their heart decades ago, still very much true for us today. There's a lot going on in the world around us. Things that could put fear in our hearts, things that the enemy could grab onto and cause us to be stagnant in our faith. But because Jesus lives, there is hope. And we know who holds all things together and we can trust him. Whatever the stone might be, God, I pray that you would minister powerfully to each and every heart, to each and every life, to every circumstance. Break strongholds. Walk with people through the circumstances that seem very difficult. And the most important thing that we could address today is that if there's someone that still has that heart of stone but needs to respond to the gospel, the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. I encourage you to lean in to the voice of God and surrender your life to Jesus to truly receive this resurrection life. Just simply pray with me in your heart and say, Jesus, I need you to save me. Please take this heart of stone, replace it with a heart of flesh. Fill my life with your Holy Spirit. I come to you a sinner in need of this salvation. Please forgive me of my sin. Cleanse me and make me new. And by the power of your spirit, please work through me just like you did the disciples. Guide me, lead me, teach me, help me to love you, serve you, honor you, and glorify you with my life. 
thank you for this gift of salvation that comes by grace through faith. Thank you for saving me. And Lord, in response to the message today, let us continue to serve. Let us continue in our devotion unto you, no matter what it is we may be facing. We'll leave the stone moving to you. And we're trusting that you are at work, even when we've got questions. So we lift this to you today. We're thankful we can face uncertain days because you live.